0: Hello, thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I'm here today with Liz Barlow, Assistant Vice President of Clinical Innovation for Paragon Rehabilitation, to discuss why Program for Evaluating Payment Patterns, Electronic Report, or PEPPER reports matter, and what you should be doing with the data from them. Welcome, Liz. Thanks so much, Amy, Uh, glad to be here. We're excited to have you. Skilled nursing providers recently received a notification that their PEPPER reports were ready for review. I know when I was working with providers, these reports were often overlooked or even ignored entirely. Can you share with listeners why these reports are important? and what did they tell providers?
1: Sure, Amy, Pepper Reports have been around for several years and really were initiated by the Affordable Care Act. And as we all know, CMS is always looking for ways to reduce fraud, waste, abuse. So this program was started in order to share some data with providers to give them information and really empower them to look at ways to validate their billing patterns for their Part A residents. It started with RUGS review um, and has moved to PDPM data for the first time this year. So CMS started by analyzing data and developing what they call target areas that they believe may be at risk for improper payment. They pull the data from SNF paid claims. These reports, I believe are incredibly important for a few reasons. I think that any time that we can look at data, the same data that CMS looks at, that it will help us to become more proactive for the future and also assure our compliance with the Medicare system. So that's first. Second, the PEPPER report also allows us to compare our outcomes, our data, to state jurisdiction, which is your MAC, and also some national statistics. So similar to a CASPER report, it is based really on percentiles. You do see a percentage on there, but the numbers to really look at are the percentiles. Their focus on those facilities is primarily below the 20th percentile or above the 80th percentile, and those are called the outliers. So by sharing this data, these reports provide us with information needed for us to do really a deep dive into our processes, including coding and billing. These are great reports to use for QWAPI. If you note that you are an outlier facility with a high percentile in your jurisdiction, it may come as no surprise to you in the future if you receive several ADRs or additional documentation requests from your MAC. But you can be ready and assure that your documentation supports your billing patterns by reviewing your past documentation and also by developing some future processes, audit processes as well. You know, the one thing that I do want to say and stress is that the PEPPER user manual and the trainings that they have on their website absolutely emphasize that this does not identify improper payments. It only means that there may be potential for it. So that is why it is really critical that we understand our own data and can validate the accuracy of it.
0: I love what you just said. There is such great tips there for our listeners. You know, looking at your outliers, if you're below the 20th percentile or above the 80th, and then taking that to Quapi and I think that's a great takeaway. I really like that because I don't think that providers often think about using these reports in as far as QAPI goes. And so I really, that's a great, great, great key takeaway. The Pepper User's Guide, the ninth edition, reflects many changes in the Pepper reports. Can you summarize these changes for us? Yeah,
1: so as I mentioned previously, when PEPPER first started, of course, it was based on RUGS data. So this is the first time that we've seen a full report with PDPM information. There are two new areas noted on the reports this year that just came out in April. One is called the PDPM High Utilization Code, and we're going to talk about that. And also there's one called the 3-5 to Day Readmission. The other two target areas which we have seen in the past are 20 day episodes of care and 90 plus day episodes of care. But we're gonna go back and I'm gonna talk about a little bit more about the new codes. What CMS has focused on with the high utilization, what they're calling the PDPM high utilization codes are the PT and OT categories with HIPS codes, CD, GH, KL, and O and P. So upon review, these are categories that are from the PT and OT CMGs that have two categories of functional scores. It's either 10 to 23 or it's 24, and that covers all of the clinical categories. So what I think is important here to note is that CMS is continuing to have a watchful eye on therapy utilization. While these CMGs don't validate really what, if therapy was provided or how much, because remember, the CMGs are based on diagnosis and functional scores. I do think it's important to know that CMS is going to continue to review, though, the therapy utilization of minutes and proof of skilled service and medical necessity based on therapy. So I do think that's a big takeaway, that continuing to look at those minutes and that justification of skill. The second area is the three to five day readmission category. And under PDPM, we all know that we have a new interrupted stay policy. And CMS told us in their proposed rule and final rule for 2019 that they would be monitoring to make sure facilities were not trying to take advantage of this new policy by readmitting patients beyond the three day rule without justification. This allows them to see any potential high percentiles of patient readmissions in order to potentially capture that NTA variable per diem. So, as a refresher, the variable per diem on days one through three for NTA is three times the base rate. So, CMS is really digging in to see whether there is any potential abuse of this policy.
0: Thank you for that information. This is really, really helpful for our listeners As you mentioned, one of the newer metrics identifies providers that have a high number of residents admitted in a three- to five-day window, which is just outside the interruption window range. If a provider finds themselves as an outlier at or above the 80th percentile, what does this indicate and what should they be looking at? Yeah, so first and foremost, I'm going to stress this several
1: times throughout the podcast today. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. However, again, it affords us an opportunity to really dig into our data to make sure that our billing information is accurate. So if you find yourself above the 80th percentile, particularly in this new category of the three to five day readmission window, You know, there are some things that I think you can, again, do a deeper dive, try to find some root cause analysis, and take a stronger look at. One is, are you potentially discharging patients too early? So, if you're a facility that discharges a lot of patients home or to a different level of care, and you find them being readmitted, you may want to take a strong look at your discharge process to determine are we discharging at an appropriate discharge level? Are they going to the right level of care? What type of communication do we have beyond that patient discharge or resident discharged with the patient, resident, or family? In other words, is there a follow-up phone call? Are we making sure that they are doing what needs to be done for that proper care? And also whether possibly there was sufficient discharge training and education to give to the caregivers. So that's, that's first and foremost. If you find yourself that the majority of the patients are being readmitted to the hospital versus maybe a different care setting and returning, again, great opportunity for us to look at some root cause of transfers. Are they of a similar diagnosis? Can you get your teams trained maybe at a higher level of skill? You know, an example I could give to that is that if you find that a lot of your transfers back out to the hospital are due to i'm going to say cardiopulmonary issues maybe copd chf then you may want to start focusing in on some further staff training for that type of patient population i will say that the course of the last year certainly has been different and that with covid 19 this type of data may look a little different than it what it may look like in the future but that being said i would strongly suggest not using that as an excuse not to dive into the reason for a potentially high readmission rate. I will say that with COVID-19, we know a lot of people probably were rehospitalized. You know, you still wanna dig down and make sure that processes are in place, you know, moving forward. Last, there should be a focus on the date of the return to the facility, right? Because that's really what CMS is looking at here. CMS doesn't want a readmission to occur for the sole reason of increased payment rate that they could have maybe returned a day or two sooner. So, the bottom line to all of this to me is that you really need to make sure processes are in place to support your discharges and your readmissions to the facility and that you have
0: documentation processes to support it. That is great information. Thank you for that. There are two metrics that focus on the length of stay or episode of care, looking first at stays that are 20-day episodes of care and then at 90-plus days. Why are these two timeframes significant and what should providers do if they're an outlier at or above the 80th percentile?
1: Great questions. Yeah, so let's start with the 20-day episode of care. That was a new category. I believe that actually started last year, but still considered new for a few reasons. So this metric really continues to be relevant, whether we're talking about rugs or PDPM, to really validate or verify the metric that they are looking at is exactly 20 days so why is that day relevant well the initial focus in the pepper guidebook that's on their website tells us that of course we know the SNP benefit provides 20 days at 100 medicare coverage at that point the coverage drops to 80 percent so they feel that there may be potential of a facility to have a financial incentive to keep the patients for 20 days even if they require skilled care at an earlier time frame and they extend it So, what they're thinking is, is that facilities are potentially extending their length of stay, even though the patient may not require skilled care just in order to capture that 100%. So, that definitely is a timeframe to look at. And even though it's not mentioned in the report, 20 days is important also under PDPM because this is the day that the variable per diem impacts PT and OT components. So remember, you know, a refresher is that there's a 2% decrease for those components every seven days beginning on day 21. So if you're an outlier of above 80%, again, you kind of go back to your processes and you look at your discharge planning. Do you have strong processes in place to support a resident's discharge date? How does the team decide you know, when that discharge date would be? You would want to review some documentation for beneficiary episodes of care with a length of stay at 20 days or those above 90. Do we have documentation to support that skilled level of care? I think that's the bottom line and we always need to make sure that our documentation and processes support that. The facility should always review appropriateness of your plans of care and review medical necessity and skilled care during their care meetings. Again, that's just, to me, another layer to help prevent any potential inaccuracy in our billing. So, supportive documentation is
0: everything as we know. Thank you. You spoke earlier about a new metric that was added with the April report or the Q4 Fiscal Year 20 data release showing PDPM high utilization codes. This metric focuses on both provider at or above the 80th percentile and those at or below the 20th percentile. What actions should providers take if they are noted to be an outlier? Yes,
1: so another good question since this metric really focuses on the PT and OT components, let's break that down just a little bit more. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but PT and OT CMGs, with those CMGs, you really want to make sure that your I0020B diagnosis is accurate because it impacts that clinical category that the patient falls into, right? That's all part of that CMG and that CMI reimbursement but more importantly and we talk about this a lot i know you want to make sure and review your processes for capturing the functional scores through gg you know we've talked about gg for several years there continues to be a lot of challenges around capturing what is usual performance so remember that usual performance should include the entire team's input As to how the patient performs that task whether they're in therapy gym or whether they're in the room or somewhere else so really getting feedback from all of the team you know and even more importantly and what i'm hearing through other colleagues that are in our industry it seems like the most important piece of documentation that we should have as a result of deciding this GG usual performance is how did you come to that conclusion for that score? And I'm hearing a lot more through audits and discussions that reviewers are starting to look for that piece of paper, that documentation, so to speak, that supports how the team came to the conclusion of that GG score. So again, go back to your processes. Are you talking about these scores daily? At a minimum, weekly, are you summarizing them? Are you reviewing them with the team? Processes in place to support your GG score decision. That is what should be in your documentation and help to support this. So that is why this, again, is so incredibly important. If you have that documentation to support your diagnosis, you have that documentation to support your GG usual coding and performance, then you don't have anything to worry about. Your documentation is there. Your processes are in place. You can definitely feel confident in how you have coded and billed that patient's outcomes.
0: Liz, you've given our listeners so many great pieces of information and key takeaways. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost,
1: I'd really like to just stress to everyone to be sure and pull the reports If you go to the PEPPER website, which is PEPPER.CB as in boy, R, PEPPER.org, they give you the instructions on how to download. I can't go in and download a report. Amy, you can't. But if you're in a facility and you have your number, you can go and download. They usually reserve that for the administrators or the CEOs or whoever has the right and ability to do that. So pull that and look at it and begin to think about and share with your team, what does that data say about your billing patterns? The second thing I wanna say is that if you're an outlier, don't panic. Remember, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. You just wanna make sure that your processes and your documentation support your data. You know, I've always been a believer that the more that you know, the more that we know about our own data, the better outcomes we can have you know, we talked about QAPI. If we can utilize our data to determine root cause and create a really good QAPI plan based on those findings, we can work to improve our processes. And the ultimate outcome is better patient care, better resident care, which is all of our goals. So if there are two takeaways, you know, I'm hoping that we pull the reports and just really try to look into what that data says about us. And if we need to develop some new processes, then start taking the steps to do that and our patients and residents will be the beneficiary of all of that good care.
0: Thank you very much for this information Liz. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us today. This was very very informative. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www anac.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NAC Chat podcast.
1: Have you heard about the new Debuting on May 4th, 2021, the new APACAN.org will combine the best of ANAC and AADNS into one professional association, supporting nurses and IDT professionals across the post-acute care continuum with information, analysis, resources, education, certification, and opportunities to connect with others in the field. Visit APACAN.org to learn more.